it is good to gather around the gospel. It is good to declare the truth to one another. Uh, we need this community of the local church to remind each of us of the gospel and of the truth there and how it applies to our lives. We need one another's encouragement and exhortation and challenge and um, we, uh, we need one another. And one of the ways that we um, experience this community with one another is through our community groups. Uh, next Sunday night, our community groups are going to be meeting for home fellowship. Uh, that's, uh, April 2nd is next Sunday, Palm Sunday. And uh, so we'll be gathering together 5.30, four different locations. They'll be printed on the bulletin next week whenever you come in. And uh, we'll be gathering uh, to eat together, to spend time together, and particularly to look at um, the passage that will be in that, that uh, morning sermon and consider how we can apply God's word uh, to our life and, and consider that together. And so uh, if you are part of a community group, be sure to be talking about where that uh, home fellowship gathering is going to be located. And also be sure uh, that if you see someone who is not a part of your community group, uh, to invite them to come be a part of this gathering. And, and maybe they are already are part of a community group, and that's fine. But if you don't know, just ask. Invite, make, um, make everyone feel welcome so that more of us can get in on um, these, uh, these times of fellowship around the Word of God. So that is uh, next week. And um, then uh, next Sunday being Palm Sunday begins Holy Week, uh, the week that Jesus uh, went to Jerusalem, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. And uh, so we're going to be celebrating Holy Week uh, in a couple of different ways in particular. First on Good Friday at 6 o'clock in here, we're going to have a Good Friday service and uh, particularly focus our attentions on the cross. And then, uh, of course, Resurrection Sunday, we'll be gathering in here for our normal, uh, normal time of gathered worship, uh, celebrating the resurrection and uh, really excited uh, for that day and uh, getting to, to sing together. We've got a, a choir that's been preparing uh, to lead worship that Sunday and uh, just really looking forward to a joyful celebration of the resurrection together. Um, one last uh, announcement uh, that I shared uh, last week and just want to make you aware of. Our friends at Grace Bible Church in Granbury are going to be hosting a parenting seminar on Saturday, April 15th from 9 to 3, um, and so that'll be up in Granbury, and it is free, um, but definitely register ahead of time um, to help them out. Uh, the seminar is going to feature Dr. Jim Neuheiser, um, and this will be an opportunity for you to learn about parenting help from God's Word, um, addressing parenting challenges, dealing with difficult children. Uh, the topics are going to include parenting as more than a formula, parenting rebellious teens, helping families deal with gender-confused children. And uh, this is a conference uh, for parents who are struggling, uh, for those who work with children and teens, even if you're not um, either not a parent or don't have children in the home, um, and, and ultimately just for those who desire help from God's Word. And so that's, uh, in, again, Granberry Grace Bible Church, Saturday, April 15th, 9 to 3, and uh, you can register at thecbcd.org. Uh, so you can see CBCD there. It's thecbcd.org. Okay, before we get into our sermon text, uh, we have been memorizing together uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And uh, by the sheer grace of God, you got a lot of help in reciting it last week. Got every word on the screen. 
And um, let's, you know, hopefully that grace didn't come in vain. Let's see if uh, we can really recite this without any help uh, this morning. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Praise the Lord. And uh, may that be um, a, a passage of scripture that not only enters into our memory, but that enters into the depths of our soul, and uh, not only as information, but as transformation, formation. Uh, may we as believers, as church members, uh, would we be uh, shaped by Jesus' mission and make his mission our mission. Well, I hope you found Revelation 1. Last Sunday, we started our series through the book of Revelation, and uh, last Sunday was an overview of the whole book. Today, we're going to begin going section by section through each passage of Revelation, and starting today, we're going to be looking at the opening verses of the book of Revelation. In this opening, Uh, or prologue as some call it, Uh, John gives us some information that is key to understanding everything else that comes after it, the whole rest of the book of Revelation. So just know, going into the sermon today, that what we're going to be looking at is going to pay off in the weeks and months ahead. So let's give careful attention to Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and let's begin by reading this together. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, our daughter, Selah, is in preschool here at Rocky Point We School, and uh, most weeks I'm able at the end of the school day just to walk over and pick her up and uh, bring her back over to my office, and uh, Miss Sharon uh, gives her some homework so that she has something to work on while I'm working. Um, but this, this school year, this season that we're just entering into, um, this is the first time in my life I've ever helped a kid with her homework. And so at first I didn't realize she might need my help. (laughs) Um, I was just like, oh, your teacher gave you homework? Okay, here's a crayon. Go to town. You know, do it. Um, But then she showed me the first homework sheet that she had finished. It was six cartoon animals beautifully colored in 
And I thought, oh, that's great, until I looked at the instructions. As it turns out, uh, she was only supposed to color the animals whose name began with the letter B. And she had colored in the bear, and she had colored in others, but she had colored everyone, and even the giraffe and, and all the ones that didn't begin with the letter B. And now she didn't know any better. Uh, she just saw a blank canvas and went to town. Uh, it was my fault. I forgot that she might need some help in reading the instructions. And because she didn't understand the instructions, she couldn't follow the instructions. And not only that, because she didn't understand or follow the instructions, she also missed out on the benefit of learning what her homework was supposed to teach her. Well, as we come to these opening verses of Revelation, uh, these verses have a very clear message that we are supposed to follow. Hear and keep Revelation. Hear and keep Revelation. But if we are to hear and keep Revelation, first, we need to understand Revelation. We can't comprehend and we can't live according to a book that we do not understand. And if we do not hear and keep Revelation, we will miss out on the benefit of hearing and keeping Revelation. So my prayer for us is that this text would prepare us to hear and keep Revelation. If we are to hear and keep Revelation, we must do two things. First, we must understand the nature of Revelation, and second, we must accept its invitation to flourish. First of all, we must understand the nature of Revelation. Understand the nature of Revelation. In the first two verses of Revelation 1, John shows us a few things. He shows us who revealed, how it was revealed, and why it was revealed. As we seek to understand the nature of Revelation, we're going to see who revealed, how it was revealed, and why it was revealed. First, we see who revealed. Where did this book come from? Can we even trust it? Well, yes, verse 1 begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, verse 1 introduces revelation as being from Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh. He was crucified, raised, ascended. He is seated now at the right hand of God in heaven, reigning over all things. And this revelation that we are looking at is from him to us. But this revelation did not uh, take a direct flight from Jesus to us, as it were. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus Christ had this revelation because God the Father gave it to him. And as Revelation continues, we'll see that the reason that Jesus received this revelation from his Father is because of his death and resurrection. In Revelation 5, John sees a scroll uh, which contains God's plan for history. And the only one worthy to open the scroll is the lamb who was slain. Jesus can unfold God's plan for history because his death and resurrection are the hinge upon which all of history turns. 
On the basis of his death and resurrection, God the Father gave this revelation to Jesus. Revelation began with God the Father, and he gave it to God the Son, Jesus Christ. But then Jesus made known this revelation by sending it, uh, or excuse me, by sending his angel, John says, by sending his angel. So angels play a big role in Revelation, which makes sense because Revelation is showing us unseen spiritual forces behind the world that we can see. Angels are not physical, they're spiritual beings. Hebrews 1.14 tells us angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And in this case, Jesus used an angel to serve his people by delivering Revelation. Jesus sent his angel then to John. We're introduced here to John, uh, and this is John the Apostle. Now, he doesn't identify himself as an apostle, so um, you know, it could be another John, but there's several reasons to believe that this is the Apostle John. First, uh, the church fathers who lived just a few decades after Revelation was written understood that it was the Apostle John who wrote Revelation. Uh, second, John seems to think he can be identified by his readers with just his first name, which would make sense if he was well-known among the churches as the Apostle John. And then third, while Revelation is definitely written in a unique style, uh, this book shares themes and even vocabulary with the Gospel of John, which was explicitly written by the Apostle John. Uh, and so it seems pretty clear that John the Apostle is the author of this book. Uh, so Jesus, um, uh, John's one of several apostles, and Jesus authorized his apostles to communicate his word. And so coming to us from John the Apostle, we can have confidence in Revelation because it's coming to us by Jesus' authorized representative, the Apostle John. The Apostle John then, according to verse 2, bore witness to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So what this angel showed John was from God the Father. Therefore, we know what he has written in Revelation is the very word of God. What John saw was a revelation from Jesus. So what we have in Revelation is John proclaiming the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, Revelation came from God the Father to Jesus, from Jesus to his angel, from his angel to John, and then ultimately from John to Jesus' servants. Because of this, we can have confidence in the reliability and the authority of Revelation. This book has its origin in God himself and has made its way to us through his authorized representatives. Okay, so this is who revealed what we also see in these verses is how it was revealed. How it was revealed. What kind of literature did Jesus use to give his revelation to us? It's always important to know what kind of literature you're reading. Uh, we should read different genres of literature different ways. You don't read a novel like you read a newspaper. You don't read a poem like you read an instruction manual. So we need to understand what style Revelation was written in. 
What do we have in this book? Well, again, verse 1 begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I said last week, this is the very first word in this book, revelation. Because Jesus wants to reveal something to us in this book. Revelation is not truth concealed. Revelation is truth revealed. In this book, the truth is not veiled by symbols and imagery. In this book, the truth is unveiled through symbols and imagery. Now, that word translated revelation is uh, the, the Greek word from which we get our word apocalypse. Apocalypse. And it, it means revelation, as we said. Um, but this word apocalypse also came to be used to describe a type of writing, a style of writing called apocalyptic literature. The book of Revelation is just one example of this style of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Uh, Ezekiel and Daniel, for instance, both include apocalypses uh, within their works. Uh, Plus, there are also examples of apocalyptic literature outside of Scripture that we can learn from. New Testament scholar David Neenhaus describes what all of these apocalyptic writings have in common. And if you're familiar with Revelation, this will ring true for you. But here's what to expect if you're reading apocalyptic literature. A famous person of faith is transported to the heavenly realm to receive a revelation from God. This unveiling of God knowledge is expressed through fantastic symbols, which are often interpreted by angels. More often than not, uh, uh, the the, uh, communicated message encourages suffering followers to hold fast to the faith amid the seductions and sufferings that so often lead God's people to abandon the way of the word. So there are a couple of important things that we need to understand about apocalyptic literature um, uh, and, and letting this definition guide us first. This type of writing is symbolic. It is symbolic. In this apocalyptic liter- literature, things that are actually invisible are depicted through visible images. Okay? Things that, were, that are actually invisible are depicted through visible images. It would be like if you and I were playing Pictionary and I got a card that said, the human soul. Great, how do you draw the human soul? It's invisible. Well, I might draw the shape of a heart. Now, we all know the human soul isn't actually shaped like a heart. It's not actually shaped like anything. It's invisible, it's spiritual. But that symbol is a way of visually communicating something that is invisible. And that's what's happening in apocalyptic literature. Things that are actually invisible, like God the Father, angels, demons, Satan, uh, things that are actually invisible are depicted through visible images. So it's symbolic. And John signals to us in these opening verses that this book is going to involve communication through symbols. In verse 1, John says that Jesus made it known by sending his angel. He uses that phrase, made it known. That term means to communicate with signs or to signify. Uh, This is, for instance, the same type of communication 
that God used when he gave King Nebuchadnezzar dreams, and then he sent Daniel to interpret them. He was communicating truth through signs. He was making it known. He was signifying. Furthermore, uh, John also says in verse 2 that what he has in Revelation is uh, that he bore witness to all that he saw. So Jesus showed John images and symbols, and John looked at all of this, and he took what he saw, and then he put it into writing. So what we have in Revelation is John's description of the images that Jesus showed him. So all of this together means that we should expect Revelation to be symbolic. One of the major errors that people make in reading Revelation is taking everything literally. But we need to take John on his own terms. He tells us he's writing what he saw, which Jesus showed him in symbols. It would be wrong for us to try and take literally what he meant for us to take symbolically. So that's the first thing we need to understand about apocalyptic literature. The the means of communication, the way that truth is conveyed is through symbols. The second thing we need to understand about apocalyptic literature is that this type of writing is relevant. It's relevant. Yes, the symbols are fantastic, as David Nienhaus said, but the message is not fantastic. The message is down-to-earth, nitty-gritty. Apocalyptic writings reveal what's really going on in the world so that readers would persevere in faith and endure tribulation and resist temptation. So we should expect Revelation to be relevant. Whatever we read in, uh, in a Revelation was, first of all, relevant to the situation of the original recipients, the seven churches in Asia Minor, but we should also expect Revelation to be relevant to us in our situation as well. So John wrote Revelation in apocalyptic style, conveying relevant truth through symbols and imagery. This is how Revelation was revealed. So we've seen who revealed it and how it was revealed. And what we also see in these verses is why it was revealed. Why it was revealed. (coughs) So John says in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. God wanted the servants of Jesus Christ, to know what was about to happen, what was going to happen soon. Soon, he tells these churches in the first century. Soon. And it was soon because the seven churches John wrote to were already living in the last days. And so are we. We are living in the last days. The last days began at Jesus' first coming. Hebrews 9.26 says that Christ's first coming was at the end of the ages. 1 Peter 1.20 says that Jesus was made manifest in the last times. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Peter said that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of a prophecy that Joel made about the last days. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul says that he and the Christians in his day were those 
on whom the end of the ages has come. And John himself, in 1 John 2.18, says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John told these seven churches in the first century that Jesus was going to show them the things that must soon take place. For those living in the first century soon meant that the events of Revelation were beginning to unfold in their day. Revelation was about their future, but the future was already beginning. We need to remember this as those who are reading this book over 1,900 years later. Revelation was about their future, and a lot of what Revelation talks about is still in the future from our vantage point, like the second coming of Jesus, for instance, future. But some of what we see in Revelation is about our past. Uh, Some of the things we will see in Revelation also are dynamics that have been at play since the first century that are continuing to be at work today in the present. And Jesus wants us to know all of it. He wants to show us the things that must soon take place. And he has decided that it would be best for us, for us to know God's plan. As we said last week, in Revelation, Jesus reveals to his churches God's sovereign plan for history. Notice in verse 1 that word must. The things that John writes about must take place. The events in Revelation and the events of all of human history must take place because they have been decreed by the God who sits on the throne of heaven. The vision that Revelation gives us is of a God who is sovereign, who rules over history. And what we see is that history is not random. Events are not meaningless. They are all heading toward God's purpose. The world is not spinning out of control. Everything that is happening is a necessary part of God's plan. It must take place. So Jesus gave us this. Why? Because he wants us to know what God is up to in the world, what he's been up to, what he is up to, what he will be up to. And understanding this purpose is a key part of understanding the nature of Revelation. So as we've seen, to understand Revelation, we need to know who revealed Revelation, and again, this book has its origin in God himself, and he made it known through his authorized representatives. We also need to know how Revelation was revealed, and we see that John wrote Revelation in apocalyptic style, conveying relevant truth through symbols and imagery, and we need to know why Revelation was revealed. Jesus wants us to know what God is up to in the world. Understanding the nature of Revelation in this way will be essential to us if we are going to be ready to hear and keep Revelation. But we don't just need to understand the nature of Revelation, we also need to accept its invitation to flourish. Accept its invitation to flourish. Look at verse 3 again. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now before we get at the heart of what this verse says, notice that term prophecy. So we just said Revelation is written in the style of an apocalypse, apocalyptic literature. But Revelation isn't only an apocalypse. It's also a prophecy, we're told. The Apostle John sees himself as belonging to the same category as the Old Testament and New Testament prophets. And as we'll see, the message of Revelation really is the culmination of what the Old Testament prophets wrote about. Prophets in Scripture were those who were authorized to speak on behalf of God. Now, when we use the term prophecy in our day, oftentimes we think about predictions about the future. Um, And prophets did at times predict the future, but prophets did much more than predict the future. More often than not, prophets were delivering God's message to someone in the present. So take, for example, the very famous prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, in that verse, the Lord makes a prediction about the future. But this prediction came within the context of what the Lord was wanting to say to Ahaz, the king of Judah, in the present. Ahaz was weak and fearful, and the Lord was calling to Ahaz to have faith in him. So the sign of Emmanuel would be to demonstrate God's faithfulness despite King Ahaz's faithlessness. So yes, there was a prediction about the future, but it came as part of a message for the present. So in light of this, again, we should expect Revelation to be relevant. Jesus was giving the seven churches in Asia Minor a prophecy through his prophet John. John was speaking the message of Jesus to those churches in their day. And likewise, this is a message that is relevant to us today. So, Revelation doesn't just have one genre, it's a prophecy, and that prophecy was written in the apocalyptic style. But actually, Revelation has three genres, because this apocalyptic prophecy comes to the churches packaged as a letter, but we're going to talk about that next week, okay? So for now, just hold on to the fact that it's an apocalyptic prophecy. This prophecy leads, we're told, to blessedness. That word blessed is one of my favorite words in the Bible. The Old Testament equivalent is uh, Asherah, where we get the name Asher, and uh, it means happy, flourishing. It's a promise of the good life. There are seven of these blessed statements. Uh, Revelation 1-3 is just the first of seven uh, in Revelation, or Beatitudes. And uh, it's no accident that there are seven Beatitudes, because seven is a very important number in Revelation. Um, here are the others, just so you get a, a sense of what these statements say in Revelation. So we have Revelation 1-3, but then also Revelation fourteen thirteen, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, 
that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Revelation 19, 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 22, 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have a right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So as you can see from these seven Beatitudes, seven blessed statements, Revelation's idea of the good life may or may not always be the same idea uh, that we would have of the good life. But in any case, what we have in Revelation 1, 3 and all throughout Revelation is an invitation to flourish. It's an invitation to experience the good life as God defines it. So according to Revelation 1, 3, who is it that gets to flourish? Well, the first person who flourishes is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So when each of these seven churches received revelation, someone in that congregation would have opened up this letter and would have read it out for the whole congregation to hear. Churches in the first century couldn't Xerox revelation and distribute it among their members. And really only in the last few hundred years have people been able to have personal Bibles. So for these churches, if you wanted to hear scripture, you had to hear it read out loud. And John promises that there's a special happiness that comes from simply being the one who gets to read these words to the church. So in our context, this is me right now. <laughs> and I can tell you, it is a blessing to get to deliver Jesus' words to you, to take what Jesus wants to say to you and to be able to be the one to convey that to you. But the flourishing doesn't stop there. The flourishing is also for those who hear the words of the prophecy. That's you, hopefully. The call to hear is all throughout Revelation. At the end of each of the seven messages to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, there's this repeated phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And even beyond that, in Revelation 13, 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Jesus wants us to hear what he has to say to us. And he promises that if we will hear him, we will flourish. Flourishing is the one who hears the words of these, of this prophecy. Are you willing to open up your ears and hear what Revelation wants to speak to you? As we open this book and see this invitation to flourish by hearing, we need to pause and prepare our ears, as it were. Prepare our hearts 
we are going to hear a lot from Revelation over the coming months. But my burden for us is that we would prepare now to hear what Jesus wants to tell us later. That we would prepare now for what Jesus wants us to hear in the weeks and months to come, even if we don't know yet just what that is that he wants us to hear. So I would ask you to consider, even today, are you willing to hear what Jesus has to say, even if it's something hard to hear? Are you willing to hear what Jesus has to say, even if it's something new to you? Now, to be clear, I promise I am not going to introduce any new truth. (laughs) Everything we are going to be looking at has been written in this book for over 1,900 years. But just because it's been in here doesn't mean we have heard it. So are you willing to hear what Jesus has to say, even if it's something that you don't already believe? Are you willing to hear what Jesus has to say, even if it's something hard to obey? Jesus is inviting you and me to experience the good life, flourishing. But if you are going to flourish, you have to be willing to hear what he wants to say to us. But the flourishing doesn't come merely from hearing the words of this prophecy. Those who flourish hear and keep what is written in it. Hear and keep. Hearing these words does us no good if we do not keep them. I really like that, the, that John chooses that word, keep. Because he could have just said obey, and, and the Bible uses the word obey, and it's a good word. But I love that word keep because this clearly means that we ought to obey Jesus' words, but it's more than just empty rule following. It's holding on and treasuring Jesus' words to us. It's clinging to Jesus' words as we persevere through this evil world and seeking to follow him. Jesus in Revelation is not just trying to inform us. He is trying to transform us. Um, I, I, there's some conversation on social media yesterday among some of our church members about Nancy Guthrie, who is a, an author and speaker, and she's got a great little book on Revelation called Blessed and a great podcast on Revelation called Blessed, and in that book and, or podcast or somewhere in there, um, she says that what she found in studying Revelation is that the hardest part is not interpreting the signs and symbols. The hardest part is choosing to live our lives the way that Revelation wants us to. I mean, we can spend months and years pulling up charts and graphs on symbols and this means that and that and that and that, and it can be some really great information. But what Jesus wants for us in Revelation is not mere information. What Jesus wants for us in Revelation is transformation. He wants us to hear and keep the words of this 
prophecy. He wants the words of Revelation to change the way we live our lives in the present. If Jesus' words are not changing our lives, it may just mean that that we don't know Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John 2. Just back a few pages. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. First John 2, look at verses 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus has made a way for us to know him. We were once separated from God because of our sin. And we deserved God's wrath. But Jesus took our sin and bore the wrath of God as our substitute. So now anyone who trusts in him can be saved from sin. And can be saved from wrath. And can come to know Jesus. And all of this comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. But what is the evidence that you have come to know Jesus by grace through faith? What is the evidence that you have come to know Jesus? According to John, you keep his commandments. The proof of a changed heart is changed actions. In fact, John says, if you claim to know Jesus, but you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. You don't actually know Jesus. Those who know Jesus walk like Jesus. So as we embark on this journey through Revelation, are you willing not only to hear what Jesus wants to say, as fascinating as it might be, are you also, though, willing to keep what is written in it? Are you willing to give yourself to the study of Revelation, not just so that you can know more, but so that you can keep what is written in it? Jesus is inviting us to flourish He is inviting us to experience the good life. And that comes when we hear and keep the words of this book. So as we seek to hear and keep all of Revelation, 
may we, first of all, be careful to hear and keep these opening words that we have been looking at today. Look at verse 3 one last time with me. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written it, for the time is near. Hearing and keeping revelation is not just important, it is urgent. We need to understand the nature of revelation because Jesus has a message for us that we need to hear and keep now. There are things happening around us right now and Jesus wants to give us eyes to see what is really going on. The time is near. But we also need to accept its invitation to flourish because Jesus wants us to experience the good life now. We can flourish now by knowing Jesus. We can flourish now even in suffering and tribulation. We can flourish now even in the face of death. So let's not miss what Jesus wants to show us in this book. May we hear and keep revelation. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the things that you have shown us in these opening verses of Revelation would be planted deep in our hearts. Uh, Lord, even if today they're in seed or kernel form, Lord, I pray that as you unfold the revelation of Jesus Christ to us through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would bloom in the weeks and months to come. Lord, that the information that we've looked at, our understanding of revelation, Lord, that, that today we would have a foundation that we can build on for weeks and months to come. But Lord, also the heart attitude of hearing and keeping. Lord, would you work in our hearts now? Would you prepare us now to hear what you want to say to us whether we want to hear it or not, would you prepare us now to hear what you have to say so that we might see the world from your vantage point and not try to fit you into our little box? Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to keep what is written in Revelation. Lord, I pray that where you want to change our lifestyles because of Revelation, you would prepare us now to say yes. Lord, would we not be content to walk through Revelation and just hear? But Lord, will you prepare us now to keep what is written in it? Lord, take your word, mold our hearts, prepare us for what is to come, what you want to communicate. For your glory and for the spread of your glory throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's stand. Let's respond to God's word.